Let's talk about love. Is it anything and everything you hope for? Or do the feeling haunt you? Haunt. I know the feeling haunt you. Haunt. Cause maybe the night that my dreams might let me know all the stars are closer. All the stars are closer. All the stars are close. It's maybe the night that my dreams might let me know all the stars are closer. All the stars are closer. All the stars are closer. Hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Hey, everybody. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor in chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, we're going to be talking about Ultimate Black Panther, number one, kickoff, second book in the Marvel Comics Ultimate Universe. It's a big one. It's interesting. We're going to talk about it in a little bit of detail. Some spoilers may follow. Now, if you did not get your copy of Ultimate Black Panther yet from your local comic shop, you would apparently not be alone because there was a big story yesterday that Penguin Random House, the delivery vehicle for Marvel Comics, lost 12,000 copies of Ultimate Black Panther in a shipment. 12,000 copies lost to the winds, which I'm laughing about because, wow, what a big number. Um, huge bummer <laughs> if you didn't get a copy, right? And if your LCS didn't have one, I saw all sorts of wild stories about People, of course, immediately speculator market. Then that means on eBay, the issues are going for $25. I saw stories of people being like, yeah, my shop charged me 25 or 50 bucks for it, which why you would still buy that? <laughs> like if I went to my shop, my, my comic shop, for a book I had on hold, and they said, yeah, your, your copy of Ultimate Black Panther, because of you know market forces, we're going to be charging you $50. <laughs> <laughs> I'm simply, I'm simply leaving the store, <laughs> right? Like I'm, I am walking out of that store and, and I am not, maybe not going back at any point. I mean, I don't know. I do feel for shops. I, if you're running, if you're running a retailer, right? And you get this book and you can see on your screen right in front of you, like, yeah, this, this issue is going for 50 on eBay. If I took my merchandise and I sold it online, the going rate is $50. And then you got to, I guess, just out of like, like being ethical <laughs> and, and having a relationship with customers, be like, let me give you this for $4. I feel for that. That's a weird business decision to have to make. I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, but I mean no chance in hell am I feeling that if I am the consumer as well. So a weird situation. Um, I'm, I'm sure many of you, though, did find a copy of Ultimate Black Panther. Uh, it, it, we are starting a little bit early today. Here's the thing. I'm ready. I, I had listened to all the stars enough times to feel like I've got the SZA part. I've got it. Do you say S-Z-A? Or do you Wu-Tang it and say SZA? This is one of the things about podcasting and 
putting myself out there on air is I don't talk culture out loud with anyone <laughs> until until I'm on a microphone with Zach and Charlotte doing My Marvel This Year, the podcast where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. We're here with y'all, okay? That's, that's when it starts. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going off the Rizzagizza uh, history of Zuz, but, but perhaps there's some difference uh, there, okay? But that's Black Panther's soundtrack. That's why it's relevant. Listen, I don't, normally I just like to do it and not spell out the connection to the day's comics, but I feel like for some of you it's going to be woo, and I just I want it to be clear. There's a connection. I'm seeing SZA absolutely share the comments. Th- this is why I enjoy doing this, as well, because I get quick confirmation that I'm right, and I've always been right. And I thank you all for that. We're going to talk Ultimate Black Panther. We're also technically going to talk about X Men 31. Uh, came out yesterday, but I mean. Don't get your hopes up <laughs> for uh, for that comic in general, but also like for the for the discussion of the details within. Got some broader thoughts on that one. Here's some thoughts for the day. All right, as we talk comments or as we talk comics and all that fun stuff, I've got two things that happened recently. One, I was invited by David Harper of Sketched.com which is, I think, at this point, my favorite comics website. Um, probably that and The Beat, I guess, are like the two that I would just read for fun. I, you know, I actually really appreciate Book Riot. Um, I think they, they do a nice job in the curation and recommendation space, especially around YA, just if I want to tap into that and see what's going on there. Uh, and then the work Kelly Jensen is doing through their, uh, it's called a literary activism newsletter, all about like fighting book banning and just the insanity going on there. That is that is top notch, important to comics, important to literature stuff. Okay, um, but sketched is is up there, very very high. And David Harper was kind enough to ask me if I would participate in his trade val- his trade deadline column for comics, knowing I'm a sports fan and a comics fan as as David is as well. So I got to. David came up with seven fake trades doing a – it was the NBA trade deadline today. So this is good timing. David came up with seven fake trades for comics, and I got to provide the verdict on whether or not those things would go through. So I'm going to come back to that. We're going to talk about that. But what that has set up – and I'm not going to spoil it because it's it hasn't even been recorded yet. But I'm also going to be on David's very popular off-panel podcast talking, uh, talking X-Men primarily. Okay, so what I want you to think about today as we go through this, what are the titles, what are the books that you are the most desperate to see in an X-Men relaunch? Okay, getting your thoughts, getting your comments here on the live stream. I want to see what titles are must for you. Bonus points if you say who you want to be involved in that title. All right, but we're talking post-fall, post-rise of the powers of 10, relaunch. What do you got to see? What do you got to see? I want to hear it. Um, let's see. Raccoon with Bev says, Commissioner Dave. Yeah, it, it is. It's a bit of a commissioner role. Listen, okay, I'm just going to tease it because you all are going to love this. The first trade, I, I lost sleep 
over this first trade David proposed. It is it involves Jim Lee. It's a DC Marvel trade. It involves Jim Lee, Jonathan Hickman, um, Marvel versus DC. Okay, I'll share the details when we go through it in full. But like, trust me, you're gonna you're gonna have thoughts. You're gonna be interested. All right, that's what we're going to. Um, and, and it's going to be fun. Truly. It was, it was such a blast participating in that. So I'm, I'm really happy that I got to, we'll talk about that a little bit. Again, that's on sketched.com. I did include the link in the show notes. It is a, everything David does is member. It's a member supported site. So like to read the full articles, you do have to be a member. Uh, I think it's well worth the value. Um, but obviously you can check out like an extensive free sample before you do so. Okay. Thoughts. What I'm looking for in the comments what do you need to see in the X-Line relaunch? I just, real quick here, I'm going to ban, I'm going to shadow ban <laughs> Adam for saying Alpha Flight a must. And just a quick note that Adam has been shadow banned. Listen, I, I can't actually do that in the chat. I don't have the technical prowess, but I want all of, every time you see a comment from Adam, you cover, you close your eyes. You close your eyes and you do not read that. There will be no such Alpha Flight talk. We see our cousin Marcus coming in already. Excalibur by Donny Cates. That is a weird and wild fit. That is a weird and wild suggestion. Um, okay, we're starting off strange. Dark X-Men by Leon A. Casey. Enjoying the fall of X, apparently. Cousin Marcus comes back with Wolverines. Logan and Laura by Christopher Cantwell. Okay, I'm feeling that one a little bit more. Mountain Lion says Uncanny X-Men by Zadarsky and Capulo. Interesting. Interesting. I think Uncanny X-Men is, that's my number one draft pick for, like, you got to have the flagship back. How do you not bring back Uncanny? That's That absolutely has to happen. That is uh, not an uninteresting creative combination. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Let's see. Uh, I do want to address Mountain Lions. We just addressed a comment. Came in here early. And yes, I, listen, we're way early. Way early. Look at this. So early. Oh, my gosh. Said about the singing intro, do you accept requests? The answer is absolutely not. <laughs> the answer is no question about it. I do not. That said, if you say something that sounds fun, I will do it. Mountain Lions goes on to ask, do you like cake? I mean, the band. Uh, both kinds. The answer is yes. Both versions. The answer is yes. Um if I was going to do a cake intro, it would probably be Pretty Blue Ribbon or Rock and Roll Lifestyle. Those would probably be my cake picks. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, if you want a singing intro, I don't know how long these singing intros are going to last. I feel like we've fallen into a routine. I don't like to be predictable. Um you know, I, I feel like maybe you come to expect a little too much. What am I, a, a karaoke performer here that you get to enjoy such fresh tunes and such insightful comic book analysis all at once? I don't know. That feels like a real treat, and I'm not charging anything for it other than, you know, your continued support and fandom and time, which are more than enough <laughs> for what you're getting. Let's see. All right. I could just sit here reading the comics. Uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. But we do have to address probably a couple more. Cousin says, Uncanny Araco by L. Ewing. Listen, would I love it? 
Yes. Is it going to happen? No chance. Randall says, Dennis Camp on X-Force. That would be good. That might even be great. I feel like we, we let Dennis do his Ultimates thing. Chris says, it's ironic Dave hates Alpha Flight but loves Claremont X-Men and Immortal Hulk where they play important roles. Okay. Uh, weird use of ironic. <laughs> um, Alpha Flight plays an important role in Chris Claremont's X-Men. No. No, they do not. Okay. False. Immortal Hulk, that's Gamma Flight. You're thinking of Gamma Flight. Who also suck. <laughs> they all suck, but for Puck. I'm not going to repeat that. You shouldn't either. All right. What else do we got? Okay. 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 We'll come back to those. Thank you all for the thoughts. Thank you all for the comments. Thanks for joining early. Look at all these people pouring in, pouring in early. It's not, we're eight minutes ahead of time. You know what? I guess, I guess we should wait until time to talk Black Panther. Probably, right? Feels kind of, uh, kind of unfair to the folks who are, are truly dedicated, were on time, and missed the ultimate Black Panther chatter, I suppose. You know, next week is going to be tough for here because the only... We got two X-Men comics. We got no Ultimate Universe comics. So, like, the Marvel stuff that I would consider talking about next week, we got Wolverine issue 43, which is just going to be Sabretooth War stuff continued. And then we got Fall of the House of X number two. Now, Fall of the House of X obviously is, I guess, core to the event. As we're going to get to, I just, guys, I just, <laughs> I, I need to move on. I need to move on from these comics I know I don't like. Like, there's no more insane behavior in comics fandom than obsessively reading a thing you know you don't like. And that's where I'm at with Doug and X-Men. Like, it's just, there's no excuse large enough. There's no uh, internal pressure of needing to talk about it on a podcast significant enough that I can make myself keep doing it. <laughs> it's such a bad idea. So next week, next week, we're going to have to do taxes. We're going to have to do taxes. Listen, I will address, it, should anything interesting happen in Fall of House of X. I will address those details, but we're going to absolutely have to do taxes. I have a lot of new comics to rank on the best comics of all time list. Um, I just sent out the newsletter today for my favorite graphic novels. If you heard last week, you saw them first. It's also posted up on Comic Book Herald itself for my favorite graphic novels of January 2024. Really good list. Really fun exercise, too. I'm definitely going to keep doing that monthly. Like just the experience of looking up all the the solid OGNs and graphic novels and collections that came out um, and then just raiding my library, just devastating their shelves uh, is is so joyous and, and so soothing to me <laughs> to just bring home huge amounts of, of comics that I, I expect I may enjoy. So I definitely want to keep doing that this month. I mean, I shared this last week, but like February, I mean, we got some nice looking... Nice looking stuff that I want to read. New volume of Chainsaw Man. I'm going to go back to Peacemaker Tries Hard. We got the final volume of Amulet. Got Something is Killing the Children. New volume. Way of the House Husband. Conan the Barbarian. Mary Tyler Moorhawk, which I'm seeing buzz about. 
curious about that one. There's listen, we're going to do it again. So tax time is coming. It's going to be next week for sure. It's going to be the most open comics wise, unless there's some like massive breaking news kind of thing that happens. We're going to rank some comics on the best comics of all time list. So come prepared to rank. Should be a good time. You know, another thought I had today while I'm killing time before we get to the ultimate Black Panther thing. Another thought I had today, man, just so many thoughts inside this head. Um, one that I had that I think may be relevant. So I've been saying for months now, push all your chips into the ultimate universe, right? I've been saying for months now, all your chips on the ultimate universe. What I mean by that is it is full of promise. Ultimate Spider-Man is off to a very nice start. Ultimate Black Panther we're going to talk about today. Ultimate X-Men is going to be at a minimum very interesting. You got Peach Momoko, you got Dennis Camp coming on Ultimates. The Ultimate Universe looks very nice. It looks very good. The flip side of that coin is, is 616 in trouble? The flip side of that coin is, so if we're all, only all of us, you and I, with taste, are reading the Ultimate Universe, who's reading 616 and why? And I, I was about ready to say, I was about ready to throw down the gauntlet and say, I will bet you that by the end of 2024, I am not actively reading a single 616 book. But then I remembered Al Ewing's writing Immortal Thor and will unquestionably be writing 5 to 17 other Marvel books by the end of the year. So that, that broad inflammatory statement no longer works. <laughs> but, but for Monsieur Ewing, I kind of expect I'm only going to be reading, actively reading like Ultimate Universe stuff. Yeah, there'll be like, you know, a Ryan North Fantastic Four where I'm like, oh, I'll go back to that on Marvel Limited at some point and catch up or whatever, right? I'm not saying like literally everything is trash. It's none of that. But, uh, but I think the only stuff that, it, and obviously like if X, listen, if X-Men relaunches and, uh, and surprises us with, a real vision and, and some real interesting creative choices that could certainly throw this thing in, into, um, into a new gear. And then suddenly, but like, otherwise it's like, what is, what is 616 right now? What is the core of 616? It's been like accidentally X-Men for years. I mean, I, 616 is kind of in trouble. I don't want them to reboot it. I don't. People always love saying that. And listen, like you look at the ultimate universe and you look at, those early, that early days, those early feel of, of like, this can be anything and it's exciting and it's fun again to read superhero comics. And you look at that and you're like, well, maybe you should just do that all the time. But as DC learned with the new 52, you can do it like twice. You can't do it all the time. And it's diminishing returns every single time you do it. The, the launch, people forget. People like to, to slag on the new 52 now, which is kind of the point. The launch of the new 52 was exciting as hell. It got me into print comics. You know, it got me into a comic shop, essentially, right? But then what did they have to do four or five years later? They had to say, oops, sorry, let's bring it all back. And then you make a show of that and you get away with your DC rebirth. And then three, four years into that, now you just kind of, oh, so we're stuck again, right? Now we're just going. If you're Marvel, you've committed this long. You've committed this long. Just keep it going. You have the ultimate universe right there, right? You have the ultimate universe. That button has been pressed. It can be pressed again. 
as I've said, the ultimate universe should should roll in like five to seven year cycles and then a refresh. The ultimate universe should never go longer than that. And then you should always have that reset button in your back pocket should you need the feel of a refresh, the feel of a reboot, which is what Marvel needs right now. Because if you look at 616, what is the focus? What are you excited about? I mean, six one like the shot in the arm for Marvel is the ultimate universe. What is the shot in the arm for 616? You know? I guess a lot's riding on this X-Men relaunch. So what are they going to do? That's the question. But yeah, I don't want a refresh of the line. A refresh of leadership would be nice. At the editor-in-chief position. That could do wonders. Okay. All right. Listen, we're at time. We made it. Good job, everybody. We sat through those extraneous thoughts. Now we can, of course, get to the actual comics. Let's see. In the questions here, Randall says, Dave, are you reading Deviant by Tinian and Hickson? No, but I will when the first trade is available. For sure. For sure. I, I tend to like Tinian stuff a lot. Uh, 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 uh. Cousin Mark has asked, why do you want it to have a core so bad? Um, I really value when the connected continuity of Marvel Comics has the feel of a center, when it has the feel of vision to it. Those are the eras I enjoy the most. Um, for all its flaws, you look at 2004 to 2010, Bendis Avengers. There's a, there's a sense of movement at a universe level of like we are moving to Avengers Disassembled. We are moving through House of M. Now we are on a path to civil war and secret invasion and dark reign. There's just a sense of like, oh, this is the broader happening of the Marvel universe that if you're all going to play in a shared universe and share the space, it kind of lifts just the, the sense that stuff matters within these stories and that they are actually connected in significant ways. Not all runs need to be that. Let's be clear, right? Like a Hawkeye by Fraction and Ahot doesn't need to tie in <laughs> to anything. It's not better for it. Those are the comics that I tend to, to like the most. Um, but that's not how the shared superhero universe experience really works. I mean, even on an X-Men level, you know, if you look at the Claremont era, right, which is, is so hallowed by so many fans, like, that's a vision of a few people. I think a core... Is, is the equivalent of saying there's a creative vision, a shared vision of a few people, right? Chris Claremont, Anna Senti, Louis Simonson, et al. John Byrne at various times, right? Paul Smith, right? Different artists. But like that, that makes the project feel better. It generally tends to lead to better work. And if it's not better, it's at least cohesive. It's at least cohesive. Um, Marvel has lacked that. You know, uh, really sense Secret Wars 2015 version, which is a problem. It doesn't mean good comics can't pop, like, pop up, right? Obviously, there's been a lot of good stuff in that time, but it kind of means everything's just doing its own thing as opposed to this is a connected universe where all these things are playing on the same playing field. Because if you're not going to utilize that as an asset, then just do a prestige DC black label. You don't even need to pretend you're dealing with continuity. 
if you're not going to utilize that asset. Like that is the whole distinction, frankly, that Marvel superhero comics have at this point is the grand shared tapestry of history, of continuity, of, of having story that has built decade upon decade upon decade. And you have all these storytellers gathered around, you know, the grand Marvel Comics campfire trying to add to that. Like, that's the tradition. That's the legacy. So if you're not going to do that, then just have them silo off and make the best thing they can make and sell it as that as a prestige book, which is essentially what DC Black Label is. I don't know. There's a lot of arguments for and against a reliance on continuity. I mean, I, I'm definitely, I'm in a cynical phase. It's something I've loved and it's something I've celebrated, but I'm definitely in a cynical phase regarding continuity after Krakoa. Um, it kind of killed my, my wishful thinking around like what the best case is because I think Krakoa kind of was the best case and it was still very disappointing at times and, and never lived up to the hype. And that was the best case, <laughs> you know, of a shared office in constant communication with an amazing setup and a lot of creative freedom. And if that was the best case, I I'm very cynical about what, what the point is. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I fixate on it as a shared, shared superhero enterprise. I mean, even the ultimate universe, it has the innate backbone. It has the innate core of Hickman's ultimate invasion setup. You know, it has the maker and his plans and his shadowy cabal trying to rule the world. That's a core that all these books, you know, no matter how much they specifically are referencing that, they're all built around that. And I think otherwise everything is just, uh, there's no point in doing them as like a shared universe. Just tell your own story. That's fine, but that's a different thing. <laughs> Chris asks, is Dave going rage bait comic YouTuber? <laughs> in, in what way do my uh, did my very tame assertion... <laughs> Is there, could there be a tamer rage bait YouTuber? Does, <laughs> right? Like, could there be a softer rage bait YouTuber out there? Um, whose cynicism is quite different than, than, uh, rage bait grifting. I think, I think perhaps we could find some nuance between the two. Let's see. Open Mike Eagle asks, what happens when there's no core is the current MCU? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the MCU lost the core. It thought it was a big enough machine to operate without one. And, uh, and culture moved on, essentially. And some of that is, some of that too is just like, some of this is kind of just a foregone conclusion, right? There is a, Shelf life, I suspect, for being the biggest game in town. Um, and 15 years of being the dominant cultural 
phenomena is like, instead of, instead of being sad about that being over, I think all of us should be just like still kind of in awe that it happened. <laughs> you know, I mean, 15 years. There are not 15 consecutive good years in Marvel Comics where you're just like, yeah, that 15 years was lights out. <laughs> that hasn't happened. So for it to happen for, for movies, so, you know, superhero movies like that is crazy. It's so insane that that happened. It's remarkable, like just a miracle where everything was on fire. All right. Um, let's see. I'm seeing a couple people. I prefer optimistic Dave. I prefer hopeful Dave. Here's the thing. I get that. And you're not the first people who've expressed that. Uh, I am going to be myself and be honest. And uh, if that doesn't fit, you know, kind of the the outlook that you are searching for, um, I get that. Uh, that said, like, I, I would rather not lie and pretend to feel better about things that I'm not into. And I think I'm, I'm plenty celebratory about things that are good. In my view, obviously, it's very subjective. But, like, I'm plenty celebratory about when things are working. Um, I don't know. There, this, this does tie into X-Men 31. <laughs> okay. Um, like, I guess, I, like, I'm just, I'm not going to be, I think there's a real sort of, um, because fandom is so gross at times, and because the rage bait circles are so nasty, it kind of kills the chance for anyone to like, then, then I think a lot of people are forced into a box of like toxic, like positivity. <laughs> like, like they act like everything's amazing all the time. And oh, we won't even talk about anything if it's not, you know, the best in the world. And I just, I don't know. I, I prefer that middle ground of reality, I think. Um, and, and I like how I, I think too, I don't know, this is where I get annoyed where it's like, you know, you prefer an optimistic view. What am I saying about the ultimate universe for, for months now? I'm saying this looks great. I'm saying we're in amazing hands. I'm saying focus on this, you know? Um, I mean, the day I don't have hope and joy from comics is the day that I stopped doing this just straight up. But, th but I, that, that day doesn't hit. Voss asks, you sound really defeated, Dave. <laughs> Do I? Do I? That, that's a weird interpretation to me. I feel like I've been fairly happy this, <laughs> this entire stream. Do I sound defeated? Sound off in the comments. I don't know. That's a, that's a weird tag to me. Uh, so what I was going to say with X-Men 31 is like, there's a massive difference. So I, I thought X-Men 31 was awful. Like I, I thought it was a genuinely bad comic. I think generally Doug and X-Men, even at, even when I don't like it is, is a certain brand of mediocre, but I thought X-Men 31 was like really, really rough, like genuinely bad. Um, and obviously like this run has not done it for me. I think the more, the, like the more we get into a fall of X or fall of the house, like, like Jerry Duggan's been running 
like has been in the prime spotlight of X-Men comics, you know, um, for a, about a year, right? I mean, like th- that certainly since the Hellfire Gala and then the Fall of X and now Fall of the House of X, like these are all dug and led events. So I don't think it's especially weird to sort of concentrate on the individual's constant contributions to the X-Men line and uh, whether or not they're a good fit in a superstar role. And certainly my take has been and continues to, I feel validated in saying is like, this is not a role that suits them. I think as a writer, I think Jerry Duggan has many talents, but is not the an individual that is suited to lead a big X-Men event that is supposed to be the conclusion and has, has a mirror up to House and Powers. You know, you're telling me that's the legacy and that's the ballpark we're playing in. And this is what we're getting. So, I mean, I think I think the the trend sends a very good Hellfire Gala and a good X-Men 25, which followed up and kicked off the fall of X. The trend of Duggan Comics has been like really negative. Like they have <laughs> they have not gotten better. And I think, you know, sometimes you put a spotlight on someone and say, all right, the ball is in your hands. Perform at an all-star level and you can see what they're capable of. And and it's it's. You know, it just isn't there. Um, But the thing I wanted to say is, like, there's such a difference between hate and criticism that is super lost. Because fandom as a culture is a a nasty beast. You know, I see that. And that's led a lot of folks to completely misunderstand this nuance, right? Like, rage and hate, that's attacking on a personal level. That's, this person is a bad writer. That's, I hate comics by this person. That's death threats at its worst. That's insane, and irresponsible, it's personal, and that sucks. That is never where I'm coming from. Ever, ever, ever. Like criticism, which is what I try to do, is this art is lacking. This art fails to achieve the goals it has set for itself or that I perceive for it, or perhaps most inappropriately, simply that I want. That's let me articulate the ways in which this story excels or struggles. Right, it's commentary on art, and art is created by humans. Sorry, AI heads. <laughs> okay, so inevitably there's overlap, right? Where the two often meet, and where many struggle the most, is when it's like, you know, you say someone's name in front of the book, right? If I say Jerry Duggan's X-Men, and then I say is bad, I'm talking about the work, but I think it can be very easily misconstrued as I'm talking about the person. And that is a necessary distinction. And it's one I can slip up on, I'm sure. I think all of us can. Right? You look at the outsized hate for like Chuck Austin's role in the X-Men run from X-Men fandom for decades. Completely inappropriate. The, like the, to the degree that it built. You know? Like that is an institution of of anger directed at like an individual. Often probably very much misconstrued, probably very much out of line when it wasn't even probably their decision. It was probably like some editorial stuff influencing it, you know? Um, but we have to be able to say, like, like we don't need to treat the latest issue of X-Men with child gloves. Like I, I just think culturally we have to be able to understand uh, honesty 
And I think, you know, and again, like the rage bait crowd is good at this because they'll th- say things like, I'm just saying, I'm just telling it like it is, man. But they're like it is, you know, <laughs> is a repeated string of, of anger and, and like bigotry often. Whereas I'm just like, yeah, these comics are bad. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I brought up Chuck Austin. I would rather read the Chuck Austin X-Men than the Jerry Duggan X-Men. And I don't think they're actually better. Let me be clear. I don't think those comics are, like, objectively better. They are more interesting. I think they're a lot more interesting. There's a stasis of mediocrity to this run that has bothered me. And it's getting worse as the stakes get higher. Um, which, I mean, <laughs> people are going to freak out about that Chuck Austin thing. I get it. I get it. Um Maybe that's, maybe that's an overreaction. Maybe that's an overreaction. That's fair. There's, there's kind of interesting stuff that like, there's a lot to chew on and talk about with those is maybe the right way to say it. And I, I don't often feel that anyway, X-Men 31 is a bummer. Uh, a few people had addressed, um, there's, there's an especially kind of like disappointing softening of Nimrod as a threat. That has been happening, uh, but that's that's not even like solely on the shoulders of Duggan. I think that's been happening a lot of places, you know. Um, but yeah, I just I I keep seeing I, somebody had the comment, you know, which was essentially like, it's like you know this random criticism is out of line. It's like it's not <laughs> I'm not just like pulling up an individual I have beef with. I'm talking about a comic that came out yesterday. You see my my bulls trade deadline uh, sadness popping up on the thing too. Like I I just cannot help but think of so the Chicago Bulls right now are they have locked themselves in like a cycle of mediocrity. Like they're they're they love achieving below average, like like the lowest common denominator success, and that's often how this run makes me feel. <laughs> so so it's happening a number of places in my life. Uh, anyway, I don't know. What y'all think of X-Men? Like, it, it's the kind of issue where I'm like, geez, I don't even know if I want to read Fall of House of X anymore. You know? Like, it's, it's come on. Like, this is the, supposed to be the flagship book. This is the only book out there called X-Men. Do something. Good grief. It feels, it feels like someone writing, and, and some of this maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a behind-the-scenes element to this. It feels like someone writing, um, doing work on their, when they've already given their two weeks' notice which is the best time as an employee. Give you two weeks notice and you actually get to stay there for two weeks. What feels better? Like no, like there's no stress that you're completely liberated. Probably best case, you, you want to help people around you, right? But you don't care. That's what, that's what the fall of X has felt like in so many ways outside of the Ewing and Gillen stuff, which again is like, good grief. Can you imagine this without them? Um, Joshua says, I don't really think about X-Men at this point, which is kind of a problem. It should be like <laughs> like this and 
X-Men Forever should be the tie-ins that matter. And this could not matter less. You know? It's a it's a real, real bummer of a book. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're not supported as much. Maybe there's a rush to get things done. I think I think there's a lot of probably behind the scenes assumption that like these teams have been rushed into this finale, which probably you need to give a little leeway for, and I need to give a little leeway for. You know, if you thought you had a certain amount of space. And then all of a sudden, editorially, it was like, yep, new uh, new era coming in July. And you're like, I thought I had time. You know? And now you got to cram everything together. I mean, this these the X-Men stuff, I mean, feels like it. And then some. And then some. Um, all right. So, I mean, that's all I had to say about that comic. But it's just, I just, I, it doesn't, and listen, I have a, I'm a small, <laughs> small man. <laughs> With a small audience. Not you. You're you're all great. Um, but it's like you have to have space to be able to to talk about things that aren't working for you and try to share the why of it without getting conflated into the worst elements of culture. You know? Cause I, I think there's there's real value in tra- in looking at because if we all sit here with with kid gloves and we're like yeah X-Men 31 pretty good you know Jerry seems like a nice guy so we're, so we're not going to say anything like that is the signal that that is the level of uh, product of quality that we're comfortable with that that is a fandom that we are good with that and that's not the case it's really not the case you know I don't want that for the next era it should be clear when things are failing and you need some criticism, you need some commentary about the whys and, and about the level of it so that you can look at that as the next era and learn from it, you know? Um, yeah. All right. Let's talk about the book I enjoyed. Ultimate Black Panther. Brian Hill. Final Caselli. Let's pour one out for Fallen Angels. And let's celebrate the Brian Hill Celebration Victory Tour. Okay. Congrats to Hill and Caselli. Really strong debut issue. Really strong. Um, again, the Ultimate Universe looks to be. We're in the honeymoon phase, I know, but like it looks like it's in such good shape. Uh it's I'm telling you, if you haven't bought in yet, buy in. It's going to be worth it. There's a really confident energy to Ultimate Black Panther number one. And there are a number of fan service buttons that are pressed here. But I loved all of them. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that that Spider-Man No Way Home thing of, you know what? I can tell this is fan service, but when it's done well... I'm very here for it. And and like sometimes fan service is just another way of saying like cleverly integrated nostalgia. You know, there's a smartness to it here. Um, and I'm, you know, again, we're going to spoil this comic as I go. So fully expect spoilers are coming. But like the midway duo that is inserted 
into this book and when they're inserted and the way they are, it's thrilling. It's awesome. And that would, like that's a big part of what made the original Ultimate Universe kind of fun is you'd get the just the that early like kind of exhilaration of just like, oh, what is this character going to be in the Ultimate Universe? What are they going to look like? What choices are going to be made? How are they going to present? You know, what's going to, like, what are they going to be in this alternate universe? And you get some of that here with the addition at the midway point. I initially, I would, so like the premise for this is you got Ra and Konchu raising West Africa. And we've seen them as part of the the maker shadowy cabal with the Hulk and Captain Britain and uh, who is it? Uh, Sunspot's dad, right? And so, so you got the Moon Knight gods who present to me like the like the twins in Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Like that's who I keep seeing, the way they're drawn. Maybe it's just the suits, right? But they're in, they're in West Africa and they're claiming this land, right? So you're setting the stakes for you've got now shadowy cabal leadership of the Moon Knight godhead against a Wakanda that has not um, made itself public yet in this universe. Hills and Caselli's approach to me felt more in line with the original Ultimate Universe than Hickman's. I think um, a retelling of Wakanda's introduction to the world, I think probably most comparable to the MCU influence, actually, in a lot of ways, which is smart. I mean, you have to, right? If you're going to say all right, we're relaunching Black Panther for a new universe in 2024. You have to address the the MCU occasion of the franchise and just how big Black Panther was in 2018, right? But, so with Ultimate Spider-Man, you have a refresh where Peter Parker chooses to be Spidey as a young dad in an altered world where Uncle Ben is alive and Aunt May has recently passed, but not as any kind of side effect of Spider-Man's choices, right? So it changes the kind of story you tell and the way you tell it, which I think is a lot of the, the appeal that folks found with Ultimate Spider-Man. With Ultimate X-Men, every indication is Peach Momoko has a lot of creative freedom to explore young mutants in Japan, um, seemingly disconnected, at least at first, from the traditional, you know, Professor X assembling mutants in Westchester narrative. Again, it changes the kind of story you tell and the way you tell it. With Ultimate Black Panther, you have a T'Challa who's already king, but his father is still alive. This is a slight alteration. And I was thinking, oh, like, so this is the universe where father figures get to stay on screen. But no, <laughs> not the case. Sorry, T'Chaka. Okay. But then you also have this book that is all about, like, so T'Challa, as the ruler of Wakanda, is seeing the Moon Knights, you know, taking control of Africa and, and subjugating its people and there's this immediate question of what will and what should Wakanda's role be. And I think it's this interesting kind of battle of the character dynamics aren't really quite changing the kind of stories you tell and the way you tell them in the same way that I think Spider-Man and, and X-Men are. So, like, there's that piece in the back of my mind, and maybe this is just Fallen Angel scarring, but it's like, did Hulk miss the memo again? You know, is this too traditional compared to the changes of the rest of the Ultimate Universe? But I think the way it works is like, you know, so the question is like, are the Alt-U sliding doors shifts enough to tell a unique Black Panther story? 
right? Like, why is this an Ultimate Universe Black Panther as opposed to just a new run in Black Panther in 616? And I think the Moon Knights controlling Africa as part of the Maker's Cabal of Conspirators, that's a big enough structural shift to maybe be really interesting and to maybe that alone kind of allows you to otherwise do T'Challa as King Black Panther with the Shuri that we know from the MCU in ways that are less surprising, right? Like this isn't just Claw raising Wakanda for vibranium, you know? that Like this brings in questions of empire, of rule, of monarchy, of global responsibility. It brings in questions of war and when and when not to choose violence. It brings in big topical questions of nation and state that a Black Panther title can be really good at. And again, while that alone isn't unique for the title, the structure of this alternate universe allows for these kinds of questions to have consequence. It's kind of like I was saying at the beginning of this, right? The backbone, the foundation that was established by Hickman and Hitch in Ultimate Invasion kind of inherently allows these kinds of questions to have consequence. I mean, listen, we're not necessarily sitting here for 10 years and we have to keep Wakanda. If Wakanda goes to war with the Moon Knights, that can be devastating in the ways that war is. And we're still talking about superhero comics, so let's not get ahead of ourselves, right? There's going to be some limitations. Um, so I, I think ultimately, like, because the framework is strong and because Hill and Caselli hit all the confidence of what is Black Panther and what is Wakanda – and how cool would it be if Killmonger's out here saving civilians with Storm, <laughs> a.k.a. the Windrider? How wild would it be if that wasn't Storm? I feel like, yeah, it was Windrider. And she's uh, a completely different character, totally new, unrelated to Storm entirely. But very cool to see that duo midway through the issue. And you can already see, you can already see, okay, what's the Black Panther-Killmonger confrontation? Killmonger's actually out here helping the people. Black Panther's sitting on his throne deliberating. You can already see it coming. And it's interesting. You know, I like Hill's dialogue here. Um, I think it's interesting because it's a creator that I'm less familiar with. I don't know if I'm, if I'm just framing it through the lens of something I know. But I think he's kind of got the Hickmanisms down. Maybe that's just always how he writes. I need to do a little research there. But there, there was a line, I, for, I don't know, there's some sort of philosopher king type quote about, you know, what when kings are, you know, just about the nature of kings essentially. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good stuff, right? You can put that quote in a little cute, uh, cute frame, put it on your wall, start your own monarchy, have a good time. Like, it's good, it's good sparse writing throughout this. It did remind me strongly of like Hitch's approach to the authority and ultimates. I mean, Caselli is, Hitch and Caselli, like they're leaving room to breathe, which was a huge, I think just kind of like, that was a, another sign of the ultimates modernity outside of the Bendis stuff, which obviously is just littered <laughs> with speech bubbles, um, but just like books that had space to breathe. And weren't flooded with dialogue, which, man, go back and read some early 2000s comics as we're doing 
have been doing in my marvelous year. Oh, letterers got had like letterers should have been paid in the millions in the early two thousands. I'll tell you that. But yeah, it felt like a good fit. I don't know. It felt like a really good fit uh, for this book. I'm excited about where it can go. My, I guess my hope for it is it doesn't hold back on on the like all of the downside of what is happening because a you know demigods in this case maybe demigods have chosen a path of violence for reasons that have nothing to do with like the actual people like i hope it doesn't hold back on because that is very relevant you know um I hope it digs in and it could be good. My fear for it, I suppose, is that like there isn't enough separation between it and a book you could tell in 616. You know, I think that's my biggest fear as it develops. But I mean, strong first issue. We're two for two on first issues in the Ultimate Universe. Ultimate X-Men is apparently going to be the weirdest one. Uh, but it's in good hands. What do y'all think? Let's see what we got here in the comments. Let's see, Justin says, I thought Wakanda wasn't going to be so developed, and I thought T'Challa was going to be more of a guerrilla force against Ron Conchu. Mountain Lion says, I'm genuinely excited in the way that Aurora could be developed in this kind of context. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. The, the development of Killmonger as a character who he'll wrote a pretty good Killmonger miniseries at Marvel around the time of the Black Panther movie. Um, but yeah, Storm in particular, right? Like, I was thinking too, I mean, how many how many X-Men characters can exist outside of the X-Men that, that can just be like an important top-tier supporting player in a different franchise, you know? And really it's Storm and Wolverine because he's in every book at one time or another. I don't know that anybody else really pulls it off. I mean, I guess Beast is an Avenger for a while, and he's on other teams and stuff, but I don't think he really pulls it off. You know? It's really just them. But, like, yeah, I mean, you got Storm. Does Storm know she's a mutant? Do they have any words for mutants? Probably not. There's all this talk about the Maker, and there's no super-powered individuals. Yet Stor- here's Storm. How does that work? What is her role? Does she eventually come to T'Challa's side? How would that work? Killmonger seems pretty cool here. <laughs> what's what's going to be Killmonger's downfall? In this iteration, you know, oh, Xavier says, what? You don't think Killmonger is T'Challa. So that's, that's just T'Challa gone rogue doing his Killmonger thing. I would, I I hear where you're coming from on that. I actually prefer Killmonger being, you know, in ideological uh, opposition to T'Challa. And you lose that if you play the twist. Let's see. Randall says, if you read Blade, you'd know Hill ain't a slouch with dialogue. I have read Blade. And it's good. Uh, Elena Casagrande remains one of the most underrated artists who's done Marvel work in the last few years. But yeah, no, Blade's, Blade's been strong. Let's see. Adam says, convince me to pick up Ultimate Black Panther. Good luck finding a copy. Good luck, but... um. I, I'm telling you, like, every first issue of this Ultimate Universe is going to be worth checking out. 
I really just, I have no questions about it. I have no doubt. I could say something here about perceived uh, pessimism, but I won't. I'm a bigger man. I'm not very petty. <laughs> Deeply insecure. <laughs> All right, getting your questions. Getting your thoughts. I'm going to take a sip of water. Quentin says, I'm worried about Storm getting sidelined in the Black Panther universe again. Uh, I think it's a nice place to introduce this character. Honestly. It doesn't mean you can't get her out of it and move her into X-Men at some point. It says, you say here, has historically not done well in Wakanda. I don't know about that. Not not her best work, <laughs> I suppose. I like I like Storm in Wakanda. Um, I think the marriage when Storm is queen leads to, like, those aren't necessarily peak Black Panther runs, but I think that dynamic is very interesting. I think she's used intriguingly throughout the Coates run, but but never fully captured, you know, in quite the right way. Um, but I, I quite like Storm as a significant Wakanda player. I mean, I think, you know, probably, you know, and you got some good X-Men stuff in the early, there's like a Vita Ayala written issue. I couldn't even tell you what title. Is it Ten of Swords, maybe? When like Storm and T'Challa finally confront each other? It's a great dynamic. Yeah, I definitely don't have a problem with that. And I mean, again, too, like it frees up Peach Momoko to just be super weird not using any X-Men we know, which I think is ideal. Chris says they didn't have to kill T'Chaka again. You know, that was probably the element I took the most issue with. Almost, I don't know. Like, listen, it's how the story has played out in 616. It doesn't have to be different just to play different. But it is kind of like, all right, we've got the situation where the, kind of the point of the framework is like things have played out differently, right? Like Uncle Ben's still here. He's great. Couldn't you also do the exact same thing in Black Panther with T'Chaka? Like, why not? You know, I mean, I think you're going for the surprise that the fists of, of Khonshu have, you know, they have hands everywhere and they have converts to their cause who are willing to suicide bomb in Wakanda. And I guess one of the ways you sell the devastation of that is you take out seemingly a major character. But yeah, that that felt to me the most like repeating 616 stuff in a way that it, it pushes the child to war very quickly, which I mean, again, like you want these to feel fast paced as well. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think about it more in terms of like, is that the wrong move? Um, but it that felt maybe the the cheapest, you know, because th there's no emotional gut punch with that. Not really. I mean, you haven't put in enough of anything developing that relationship. I mean, even in the MCU, in Cap 3, I think there's a mild emotional gut punch because you get to see the Chadwick Boseman version of Black Panther with that version of Chaka a little bit. You know, I think you feel some of that anguish. Here, it's it's very just driving to the next thing. Um, but everything else is strong enough that I, it didn't it didn't throw me off entirely. 
but yeah, I mean, I think this is this is the book I had the most questions about, and I I don't know that it like unequivocally answered them, but it definitely was satisfying. It was definitely satisfying to see. Okay, yeah, it feels like you know of the one book that I wasn't sure about, I feel like we're in some pretty nice hands now, and that this is going to be like this is going to live up to everything around it. Because if you can come out of this and you go four for four on on launch books, I mean, that's amazing. That is really hard to do. Yeah, I'm seeing Randall says, the whole assassination bomb scene felt abrupt, abrupt altogether, but still good issue. It did. I don't think we can argue with that. Oh, I'm seeing a lot of support for the Galactus Swarm from the... <laughs> <laughs> Warren Ellis written mid-2000s Ultimates events, which are really hold up very poorly, having done my Ultimate Year uh, within the last few years. It was better than the Fantastic Four 2 gas cloud, um, but nothing is as good as the Kirby Giant G belt wearing Purple Galactus. Not even close. <laughs> Some things you just don't, have to overthink. Like the Bulls should trade every player on their team except for Kobe White. You don't have to overthink it. They did, and they always will. You know, one of the nice things about Kobe White being all-star caliber guard now is every time I take a jumper and shout, White Kobe, it's like I'm saying White, comma, Kobe. Like it's, a, it's, got a, it's like a double entendre almost now. Really, really worked nicely for me. I, I weirdly kind of still love watching this Bulls team, even though we're destined to be the ninth seed and a constant playing team. I just don't want X-Men to be a constant playing team, especially coming out of this era with championship potential. I'm just saying, I'm saying root for championship potential. You know what I mean? You don't need to be content being a ninth seed for the playing. You can want better. It's good to want better. And then that pushes the decision makers to say, yeah, it sounds like the people want better. Maybe we should do better. Joshua says, what about the OG green and red Galactus? No, not as good as the purple. You need The G on the belt, the G on the belt for the OG is worth keeping, but the, the green and the red is not as good as the purple. It just isn't. Too Christmas tree-like. JJ says, rumor I heard today was Bulls were after Kaminga from the Warriors. Listen, anything you heard about the Bulls actually doing anything is a rumor. They don't do anything. It's crazy. Like the least amount of effort <laughs> possible. It's it, they're really they're really a boon to like the middle managers of the world. You know, people like myself, really, who are like, oh man, I sent five emails today. I'm wiped. <laughs> That's the Bulls, right? They're like, oh, I had three meetings, you know? Had to, had to leave work at 4.30 to catch the train. Oh, I'm wiped. <laughs> Just like middling, never trying too hard. That's the Bulls. But like, you know, making the people happy. Like, oh, we, you know, we tried for the playoffs. Chris says, Lifebringer Galactus is the best Galactus. Ooh, I do like that design. And I do like that first arc of evaluating Kenneth Rock for ultimates. That is good stuff. 
Is it better than the OG purple? That kind of white and gold? It's it's modernity bias, I suppose. But if I had to cosplay as either purple Galactus or white and gold, I think I'm going white and gold. I think I'm with you on that. I think we're agreed, right? We're not happy with the Bulls going for the plan. We we would rather they pursued a championship. Can you th- man, we could have tanked last year and got Wemby. It's a crazy thing. All right, final threats, questions, thoughts. Get them in. I'll address them. James says, even Dawn of X didn't have a flawless set of intro books. We got Fallen Angels. Oh, I mean, even, even beyond Fallen Angels, there were questions, right? Excalibur was kind of like, all right, maybe. Marauders came out of the gates really hot. Marauders was my favorite book for a few issues. I think that was probably Duggan at his best. Um, Hickman's X-Men obviously was interesting. New Mutants, which is interesting. What else do we have? We didn't get the Brisson New Mutants until deeper into that. But yeah, I mean, if they go four for four on Ultimate Universe intros, I mean, that is, that's incredible degree of difficulty. I think the Peach one is going to be the one that has people on their heels. I think the Peach Momoko X-Men is, is the book where people are going to be like taken aback by the strangeness, taken aback by the lack of familiarity to cling on to. I think a lot of readers are going to come away from that book and be like, what is this? <laughs> you know? Because listen, this Ultimate Black Panther book, like there's a lot of familiarity to cling to. It's not challenging. It's not making you rethink what you knew about Black Panther at all, right? And I, and I think that's probably the criticism of it for me. I think, I think X-Men's going to do that, and there's going to be a lot of people who are like, this is the book I don't like. And then there's going to be just as many people on the other side of the aisle going, Peach is an incredible artist, and I love this little freak <laughs> doing weird freaky stuff that mutants do. Right? It's going to be a split, for sure. Xavier says, yeah, let's talk about the major turn of events from Venom. <laughs> You're going to have to tell me what that major turn of events is. I would love to hear it. I'm not actively reading post-LUing Venom. What happened? I want to know. Was it interesting? Randall asks, have you read Snicked by Nehi, the guy who did Blame? I have. I actually read that before I read Blame. And I didn't like it. I bet I'd like it more now, having read Blame and A Little Knights of Sidonia. Um, but so that's that's like an early 2000s. It's actually a really interesting Marvel project. I mean, they brought in this mangaka. What's his first name? Tatsue? Maybe? Um, Nihai. And, and he did, you know, Wolverine manga. It's called Snicked. It would be cool to see Marvel attempt more of that. I guess they did the Deadpool Samurai book from Viz. That's relatively successful, you know, but just have like, instead of trying to do Marvel manga, which was a disaster, you know, you have the actual, you basically you license it out to the actual mangakas doing good work. I mean, you know, can you imagine the, the Chainsaw Man, right? Fujimoto doing anything with Marvel characters. I don't know why they would probably doing fine without it, but it'd be interesting stuff. Oh, is, is Al still doing Venom? Seriously? So, so we got so we got post Al Ewing Al Ewing Venom. No kidding. I thought he'd been done for like five issues. Well, tell me what happened anyway. I'll check it out someday. But uh, go ahead and spoil it. That's fine. 
James says, the online buzz for Ultimate X-Men seems to be through the roof, but it hasn't lit my fire with anything I've seen and heard. It's kind of pretty looking, but I just don't have that feeling. I mean, I think that's, it's not, it's, it's not going to have the shortcut cheat code of connecting you to characters you've known and the shortcut cheat code of like, oh, middle-aged dad Peter Parker, what I've always wanted to see. And I think that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me. And I, I'm not just saying that for like as like some sort of accusation for other readers. Like that's that I have trouble with that as well. I often say and think I want these new things, but then when I don't see any Nightcrawler, I'm like, where is Nightcrawler? <laughs> but yeah, I mean the buzz. I mean Peach Momoko is. If you're not familiar, I mean she's one of the like biggest cover artists in comics and then some um but it's going to challenge people i think it's not going to be the like ultimate x-men was in the early 2000s at all air harlem says look on the good side you could be a pistons fan i'm glad i'm not a pistons fan that's a good point that sounds miserable (laughs) does sound miserable let's see xavier says no don't spoil it it leaves a bad taste Okay, fine. I guess I got to read it. Fine, fine, fine. I'll read it. Okay. I think we did it. Good job, everybody. I think this is good. Highly recommend you check out Ultimate Black Panther. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about if anything interesting happens in Fall of the House of X. We will talk about whatever happened in Venom today. It is apparently so big that no one can even tell me. <laughs> Can't even talk about it. And what are we? Oh, we're going to do taxes. We're going to do a lot of taxes. We're going to rank some comics on the best comics of all time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you sticking it out through the old rant and rave as I try to weigh the pros and cons of being real. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the comics.